Amen. I'm so glad you guys are uh, here today worshiping with us. I want to mention one other thing. As we head in uh, to the month of September, we have Bible reading bookmarks uh, for September. We're back in the Old Testament studying some some well-known and some not well-known uh, characters of the Bible. And so um, really this year we're trying to give us an overview of the people of the Bible. I think it's important for us to understand that, that Jesus died for real people like you and me. And I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, a lot of times I'm, when I'm in the Old Testament particularly, and I read, I read about things that seem like not good. And I think our world's not that different. But if I really, if I look in the mirror, I think I'm not that different. And uh, all the more reason I need Jesus to work inside of me. So I would encourage you, if you're reading with our Bible reading plan, uh, to just continue on. And if you have not been reading in your Bible, this is a great plan to be reading on. And, and you don't have to follow this Bible reading plan. The most important thing is that you're in your Bible. Of course, on the back of the Bible reading plan is our spiritual growth pathway. And so if there's some step of spiritual growth we can help you with, please don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know. Um, I would certainly encourage you to think about what your next step of spiritual growth certainly might uh, be. Today we're going to conclude our series we've been in since, I don't know, 1836 or something. Feels like we've been in soul care forever. Uh, I think it was Easter when we started this series, really trying to think about how love and grace begin to transform us. You might remember we began with love, right? We said that the cross is how I know I am loved. The resurrection is how I know it's all real. From there, we moved to grace and talked about how both love and grace have to work below the surface in my life, but they will make changes above the surface. And really, what's going on below the surface will always boil over above the surface, good or bad, won't it? And we can, we can, we can, we can suppress it and shove it back down, and we can avoid it, we can, but, but the good and the bad will surface in our lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to come full circle, truthfully. I want to talk about how we not only start with love, but how we end with love. And the entire point of all of this is to make our hearts more like Jesus. I guess in a lot of ways I want to ask, or I want to give us a tool to look into the mirror today and ask myself, is my soul care working? Now maybe before you answer that question, before you think about the grid of what we'll talk about today, maybe a better starting point is how is your soul today really? Because we all have good days and bad days. We have good weeks and bad weeks. How is your soul really doing today? And is your soul in any different place than it was since 1836 when we began the series? Has God been doing anything? Is God up to anything in your life that's transformative, that's changing? As I said, we've been talking about the impact of love and grace on our lives, but not just our lives, our relationships. I find that relationships are sometimes like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're in wait mode. Click, 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 click. Sometimes you're spinning loop-de-loos and you have no idea which way is up and down. Sometimes they're exhilarating, your hands are up in the air, and you're like, yeah! Sometimes you're holding on to the bar or the over, you know, the, like as tight as you possibly can. And if I heard right the other day, sometimes like the Six Flags in whichever state had the injuries happen on the roller coaster this week, sometimes relationships inflict pain in our lives. I would imagine if you look at your life, the highest of highs in your life, you would look back at the pictures of your life and some of the highest highs of your life, you picture certain relationships, certain moments, moments with your spouse or with your kids, with your parents, with your dad, with your brother, 
with your best friend, with your coworkers, with some classmates from college back in the day. I also would imagine when you picture the lowest of lows in your life, sometimes those same people, for good or bad, end up in those pictures. You know, before we get to the Bible today, and I, I will get to it, I promise. Before we get to the Bible today and we read a, a verse that's going to that's gonna help us know how we're doing with our soul care. I want to give you really quickly, if you're taking notes, three, three things. I, this, is, this is just sloppiness on my part. Uh, the truths, that's a better word. Three truths about relationships you wish weren't true. If I ever say I'm going to give you three things... You know that I didn't do my homework because a thing is not a, uh, it's not specific enough. Three truths you wish weren't true about your relationships, but they are. Truth number one, good relationships are hard work. Has anybody in the room found that they just naturally slide into all relationships as though they are easy? I don't care how extroverted you are. Relationships are hard work. And if you're extra extroverted, then the people who have relationships with you know they are hard work. Relationships are just hard work. You get out of them what you put into them. Number two, great long-term relationships don't guarantee mind reading. They don't guarantee mind reading. You know, in the movies, it sort of plays out that way, right? Like, like... I melt into you, or you, you know, you complete me, or those kinds of things. And so, you know, you're, you're off at work, and you know that your spouse is discouraged because you can feel it, because you read their minds, and they're wishing someone would bring them flowers, and you know that they're wishing that, and so you get flowers on the way home, and, and, and life is just like, it just, that's the movies. Great long-term relationships don't guarantee you can read minds. And just imagine at work, if your boss, or, you know, I, I lead some people around here. If I sat down with you someday and said, hey, as a staff member or as a volunteer, I'm really disappointed with how you've been doing at something, but I never told you what my expectations were, you would say, that's not fair, Right? But we do that at home all the time, don't we? We get disappointed with our spouse, and so we, we, we express it even if we don't tell them. We get disappointed with our kids, or if we're kids, we get disappointed with our parents. It's so easy to find ourselves in a place where we're not communicating, and part of the hard work is that difficult communicating that happens. And we often end up in a place where we wish people would read our minds. Like, it would just be a lot easier if everybody would read my mind and go one step past that, do what I want them to do, right? Number three, even in great relationships, the other person won't change just because I want them to just because I want them to. I've walked with a fair amount of folks over the years through things like addiction. That addiction might be to uh, medicines, it might be to drugs, it might be to alcohol. That, that addiction might be to pornography or a number of other things. But I, I've walked with plenty of folks through addiction. And what I find is that often in a marriage particularly or in a long-term relationship of some kind, that when one person is an addict, the other person desperately wants them to change and feels broken because they can't change them. As though we ever could change someone. When I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things we talk about is that you can't marry a person thinking that the marriage or your relationship will change them. And we go into marriage thinking, well, they'll be better because they're married to me. Now, take marriage out of it. Think about work. They'll be better because 
they're my boss, I work for them, they'll be, you know, because they're my employee, because they work for me, because, because they work with, I can change them, I can just will it into action. How good am I, let's just talk about Brian for a minute. How good is Brian at changing Brian? Yeah, my wife's in the room. She knows the answer, right? She's like, not very good. If I can't change me, why do I think I can change everybody else? Again, this is why good relationships, great relationships are hard work because, because it takes two people really working on changing themselves. And I promise you, all of this applies to what we're going to get to today because we're going to give us one spiritual habit that will change our relationships forever. But it's not the spiritual habit of trying to pull the strings in somebody else's life. It's not being the famous Oz behind the curtain trying to pull the levers up and down to make somebody else change. But this one spiritual habit will change everything if I will learn to practice it. So if I could give you one thing that would improve your relationships, and for that matter, your soul care, for the rest of your life, would you want to know what that is? If Jesus were to give us, if the Bible were to give us one clear thing, one, there I go with thing again, one clear spiritual step, that would improve our relationships forever. Would I take it? Now I'm going to tell you up front, this is counterintuitive. It's the opposite of human nature. It's doing the exact opposite of the way we want relationships to work. Let me, let me just give you an example and I'm going to take you to the Bible. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 21 in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to do a fairly deep dive into this one verse, and we'll look at a bunch of other verses that help us understand it. Ephesians 5.21. But here's the thing. I often think in my life, I look at my life, and there, it's like my life is a bucket, and I look at my bucket, and when my bucket starts to feel empty, what do I want to do? I want to put things in to fill my bucket. So what I do is I start finding people and I fill my life with people, with relationships. And when they disappoint me, I take them out of the bucket and I put other people in the bucket. I mean, everything's disposable in American life. Right? Several of you lately have told me how your 1970 refrigerator went out, so you just bought a 2022 refrigerator. Just plan on like 2024 needing a replacement. Right? Everything is disposable. I mean, it's, it's, we've gone through at least a couple of dishwashers in the time we've lived in our house. It, it just, I'm not I'm an old guy. They don't make things like they used to. So relationships, we take our bucket and we, we say, okay, well, as long as it works and it fills me up, I'm going to put it in the bucket. But when it stops filling me up, we take it out of the bucket. And eventually, we end up kind of jaded in life because we realize that people... <clears throat> They let us down. So then we try to put experiences into our life, or we try to put education into our life, or we try to fill our lives with careers. And when we get disappointed over here with this one, we discard it and we try that one. We, does this sound familiar? Right? We fill our lives with these things. I'm being very generic on purpose because we think that they're going to fill us up, but they don't. And when they don't, we try to replace them. But what if, the, what if the way to true life, to abundant life, is not to fill my life with something, but to empty my life of something? Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5. And at, by, at the end of the message, I'm going to come back and give us context, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at a little more of Ephesians 5 here. But I just want to give us this one verse, Ephesians 5.21. It's a... Very simple verse with a whole lot of controversy attached to it. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
all the controversy is in this first word. Submit. Because it sounds like a word from the 1950s. Which frankly is very Western American of us. Because I don't know if you've heard, but this was written a long before the 1950s. Right? Because we all know Shakespeare wrote the King James. Right? The King James has been around since 16-something, 15-something, somewhere in there. But if you go back before English, there are Latin Bibles that go back to maybe the 400s. And if you go back before that, you've got the originals. This, in this case, this one written by Paul, who was an awful man. Spiritually prideful, spiritually arrogant, and not only a spiritual but a physical murderer, all justified in the name of religion, came to a place where he had an experience with Jesus Christ that changed him from the inside out. And as a Christian, later in life, he writes... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This can't possibly mean whatever it got misused to mean in the 1950s. Does that make sense? This predates that. By, I don't know, like maybe like 2,000 years? So what exactly is this talking about? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Of course, the reason this generates so much controversy is because the very next verse says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Actually, in verse 22, the verb submit is not technically there. It's supplied by verse 21. But just notice verse 21 doesn't say, wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is written to the entire church. And by the way, to you and I. Which means it's written to husbands, it's written to wives, it's written to parents, it's written to kids. In fact, all the illustration of this verse, the next like 20-some verses explain this verse in family life, in parenting life, in marriage life, in parenting life, in, in their day, it explained how it applied in among slave and masters. Now, we're not for slavery today. What exactly does this mean? The word submit is the word hupotasso. You can feel really smart now. Hupotasso. Hupo means under. And tasso was a military word that, that, would, that would mean something like drawing in order to form an array or to marshal together for battle. When the commander would say, hey, let's, let's line up to prep for battle, that was Tasso. To hupo Tasso was to do it under the authority of another. But we're not talking about mere compulsion. We're talking about willingness that is, that is done, I'll say it this way, where I willingly align myself with you and under you to serve you, to do what's best for you. Not where I am forced, where I'm told to submit, but where I choose from the goodness of my heart, from, frankly, the Christ place in my heart, to lay down the part of me that wants you to line up under me. I'm meddling now a little bit. The truth about all of us is what we want is to be up here at the top and everything in the world to line up underneath us. What I want is God's place up here. And what I want is my family or my kids or my coworkers or certainly my boss or the people who get in my way in traffic. 
You know the person in the grocery store that stops at the point where you can't get by anymore? And now you're stuck for like two minutes. So much so that you go, you, turn, you get frustrated, you turn around, you go down the aisle, back around the other way, come all the way back around the other side. That's a silly analogy, but you get frustrated when that happens, don't you? Because what we really want in this world is for everything around us to submit to us, to line up under us in a way that allows us to marshal them towards our objectives. We want the path to be paved for us in the sense of others laying down their... We're like, hey, like everybody else, this is good teaching. Like Everybody should lay down their life for one another out of reference for Christ because everybody would lay down their life for me. Which is a bit of the wrong attitude, wouldn't you think? When we read this word, we largely hear hierarchy. And the reason it generates so much controversy is because we think that it's saying, be subservient. But I think what it's really telling us it, what it's really doing is it's flying in the face of our self-serving culture and it's telling me to be a self, a soul, who is serving. So I can't control whether other people live this way or not. I can't control whether other people line up with the values I've got or not. I certainly can't control whether a nation like ours or any other nation lives out the values I live with. But in my own soul care, if I want to know how I'm really, truly doing, the very best way to evaluate me is to look in the mirror and ask my, and the mirror specifically to look in is my relationships. Because the application of this verse goes to wives, then it goes to husbands. By the way, it's not just telling wives to line up under their husbands out of reverence for Christ. It's telling husbands to lay down their lives to line up under. This is not about pure authoritarian lines, about who's in charge and who runs the house and who controls. This turns around and talks about parents and how parents lay down their lives for the kids, how kids lay down their lives for their parents. Look in the mirror of my relationships and ask myself, am I laying down my life the way Christ does? In other words, my relationships will thrive when my soul is focused on laying down my life, not filling up my life. If my life is a bucket, then my life will thrive, my soul care will thrive, and my relationships will thrive when I'm emptying my bucket, laying down my life for others. That might happen for my neighbors someday. That laying down my life might happen randomly in a restaurant with a server who's meeting my needs and there's a chance to lay down my life. That laying down my life might happen at work, when there's a coworker who just makes my skin crawl. That laying down, I, this gets challenging, if I'm straight up honest. Because when we read Jesus, and Jesus says, turn the other cheek, which sounds a lot like what this is talking about. When Jesus says, hey, somebody asks, forces you to go one mile, why don't you go the second mile? we begin to think about, well, what about abuse? Because it seems like principles like this are very open to abuse. I address that head on. 
I don't, with any fiber of my soul, believe that Jesus is saying, spouses, allow yourself to be abused. That's a sign of your reverence for Christ. That is not what this is saying. But is the system open to abuse? Yes. Is the selfish, I'm going to get what I want system open to abuse? Is narcissism open to abuse? Sure. Everything can be taken to an extreme. Every system is open to abuse. Don't, don't throw something out because, because the system is open to abuse. I am not for abuse. Jesus is not for abuse. Paul's not for abuse. But he is telling us that my life will thrive, my soul care will thrive, and my relationships will thrive when I'm emptying my bucket and laying down my life rather than trying to fill my bucket by taking from everybody else. Instead of a will inside of me that is self-dependent and self-determined and self-satisfied, Jesus calls me to live a life that isn't self-serving, but he calls me to a life, as I said a second ago, to be a self who is serving. I'll either fill my life by trying to take from others and put it into my bucket, or I will fill my life by taking from my bucket and giving it out to others. The reality is one of those two things is going to happen in my life. I'm going to be a taker, and I'm going to take from others and put it in my bucket, or I'm going to be a giver where I take from my life and lay it down for others. Which one of these two sounds like Jesus? I mean, is there even really a question? Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I could go on and on and on. In fact, I will in just a moment with verses from the Bible that command us to live the way Jesus lived, to love the way Jesus loved. How can I know if my soul care is working? It's just that. Look in the mirror of my soul, look at my relationships, and ask myself, am I living the way Jesus lived? Am I loving the way Jesus loved? You'll get into very difficult situations in life, and you won't know what to do. And one of the most clarifying questions you can ask yourself is, am I living the way Jesus lived? Am I loving the way Jesus loved? I could have said it this way. Stop being so self-oriented. I could have said, hey, I need to live to empty me of me. I should live to serve others rather than to be served by others. I should live to be a giver rather than a taker. I need to empty myself of my self-first thinking. I should serve Christ by laying down my life in service to others. Let go of living for me and take up living for Christ. Instead of looking some, for something from my relationships, God wants me to bring something to my relationships. Like, there's a lot of ways we could say this, but it's pretty simple. Am I laying down my life or am I taking up my life? And if I really am struggling to know whether I'm in give mode or get mode, whether I'm in give mode or take mode, this word actually gives me a bit of help. Upotasso. Am I trying to place myself above or am I trying to place myself under? Am I trying to take control or am I giving up control? And I'm am I trying to have others submit to my will? Or am I bending mine to lay down my life for others? Upotasso. At some level, 
This is not that complicated. And at some level, this is the most complicated thing you'll ever try to achieve. Because if you ever try to accomplish this on your own, again, not the abuse, the way this gets abused, but the genuine, I'm going to lay down my life for others, the way Jesus laid down my, his life for me. If you ever really try to put that into action in your life, you're going to find that you disappoint yourself more than not. You're going to find that you find that when you empty yourself, you go, but what about? Because now I feel, which takes me back to where I started. Well, then I need someone else to fill up my life. You know, I, I just need them to, you thought I was really going to do that, didn't you? <laughs> I, need, I need something to fill me. And you're right, you do. But what you need to fill you is not of this world. And I'll show you that as we end the day. But before we get there, I just want to show you that the rest of the, that'll be fine, that the rest of the Bible teaches us this over and over and over. And by the way, the default setting in my life, like the autopilot inside of me, is to go back to being a taker all the time. The default part of me goes, yeah, I want to receive. I want to be filled up. I want to feel good. I want all the pleasure, none of the pain. That's default. And I'll work for a long period on laying down my life. And one day, there I am at default again. Like I woke up in default mode. The irony of all of this is that when I live for meeting my needs, I end up unhappy. When I live for taking from others to pour into me, I find that I am never satisfying. And I end up greatly unfulfilled. And when I live to give, when I live to love as Jesus loved, when I live to live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved, I find that my life is healthier, stronger, better. But it's ironic because that's not default mode. The sin nature inside of me goes back to me all the time. And when I let that drive me where I end up, is empty again. I can promise you this. Anything you have tried to put in the bucket to fill you up, I'm going to have a perfect marriage. You put it in the bucket, you control your way into a perfect marriage. We all know that will never happen. We all know you can't control your way into it, and you'll end up very unfulfilled, right? And we say, okay, well, that doesn't work, so I need a perfect experience. I see people on Facebook, they go on, on social media, Instagram, you name it, like these TikTokers or whatever that is, hey, they're going to go on, you know, like the ultimate life is to be an influencer, right? You get to travel the world while people watch you, right? So people go on like $20,000 vacations, and you think, that'll fill my bucket. And it feels pretty good for like two weeks. What does 20000 get you? I don't know. Like two weeks. And three weeks after that, you're back to work and you're like, I need another $20,000 vacation. I saw a post of a friend the other day. They were on vacation somewhere. He said, he, they, they took a picture of a yacht. He said, that's a $3 million yacht right over there. Marsh and I were in San Diego this summer. There was a $300 million yacht seized by the federal government from a Russian oligarch <laughs> held on a government base. $300 million yacht. We're out in our kayak. Actually, I think we saw that one from a, from a jet ski that would go only five miles an hour. It's a whole other story. It felt like it. The irony is that when I, if I'm the guy who's got the $3 million yacht, what do I want? The 300 million. The guy, the oligarch with the 300 million dollar yacht, what does he want? 
<laughs> yes, that's right. So here's the thing. The Bible says this over and over and over. Matthew chapter 20, right? John and James, Zebedee, uh, sons, have their mom go to Jesus and say, say, hey, will you do for my sons whatever I ask of you? Like one can sit on your right, one can sit on your left, which means they have the ultimate power positions in the kingdom. And he says to the sons, can, can you drink what I'm going to drink? And they're like, of course we can. And Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Notice the language here, over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about these guests at a banquet table. And he says, when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up to a better place at the table. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fe fe fellow guests. But everyone who exalts himself, he had told a story about a person who came and took the, the point of highest honor at the table. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is saying the same thing this says. I can lower myself or I can raise myself. Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 22 tells some of the same story. Mark sets it up this way. He says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, what were you arguing about back on the road when we were walking? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest among the 12 basically and the disciples were constantly doing this Luke's version of the story says a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest and Jesus said the king of the Gentiles kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors but you are not to be like that instead the greatest among you should be like the youngest the one who rules like the one who serves John 10 11, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep John 13 12 when he'd finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. John 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's not like the Bible stops here, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Each of you, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. This over-under thing keeps coming up. And if I want to know how my soul care is doing, I just ask myself, Am I placing myself over or am I placing myself under? Am I trying to be served or to serve? I'm going to be applicational for just a second. Fill in these last blanks and I want to pray this for us. My relationships will be better every day if. 
I'm going to give you four things real quick. My relationships will be better every day if, number one, if I lay down my expectations. Lay down my expectations. Number two, does that feel like that one's kind of hard to swallow? Yeah. Number two, my relationships will be better every day if I lay down my critical spirit. My judgment of others. Number three, my relationships will be better every day if I lay down my rights. It's way, 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 Brian. We're a country based on rights. In the last three years, I've heard my rights, my needs thrown around by both sides, depending on the political football, all day long. I simply ask, am I living like Jesus lives? Am I loving like Jesus loves? My relationships will be better every day if I lay down my disappointments. I'm pretty sure I could fill up like all of the space you have here with more words. If I lay down my assumptions, if I lay down my hurts, if I lay down my anger, if I lay down my needs, if I lay down my politics, When I am motivated in the right way, my concern is not about my needs being met by you. My concern is that your needs are met by Jesus through me. You say, but what about my needs? If I'm always laying down my life and my bucket is always getting emptied out and, and I'm, how do I get filled? And Ephesians answers that very easily. Back up a couple of verses from verse 21. I think I'll read verse 15. I don't know if I have this far back in the, in the screen, but verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So he's telling us to make use of the opportunities that are in front of us, but to do that with great wisdom. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now notice verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. What is drunkenness about? Drunkenness, quite honestly, is about not feeling the things I feel. It starts with... I have needs, my needs aren't being met, I'm in a drink to fill my need, but it ends drunkenness with numbness because I don't want to feel any of the things I'm feeling. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is like an a, a, a umbrella term that refers to all sexual sin. What is debauchery about? My needs aren't getting met. I'm going to put something into my life so that I feel good. I'm going to meet my needs my way. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, if I'm getting drunk on wine, what am I being filled with? Wine. If I'm, getting, if, if, if I'm living in debauchery, a constant sense of sexual sin, what am I filling my life with? sexual sin. Instead, be filled with the, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And how do I know when I'm being filled? And this is the command that drives everything that follows. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from your spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So when I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm in worship mode, which means God is elevated in my life and I am lowered in my life. Does this make sense? I'm not God, He is. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude fills my soul because it's not about me. So I'm filled with worship, I'm filled with gratitude. What's the next verse? Actually, in the original language, this says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some of the translations reflect it that way. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The submitting flows from the filling of the Spirit. So how do my needs get met? 
Not by trying to fill them with all of you, not trying to fill my life with wine or debauchery or any of the other sort of sins of this world, but being filled with the Spirit of Christ. That's how my needs get met. So that I'm feeling empty and I'm tired of laying down my life for others. What do I need? I need, I need soul care that fills me from Christ. I need what he has, not what I have. Does that make some sense? At some level, this feels simple. And at some level, this feels humanly impossible. And it is humanly impossible because the only way to live this way is to do it out of reverence for Christ. In other words, I need Christ to fill me. So that's what I want to pray for you for soul care today. Can I do that? We always end our services with two prayers. One is a prayer of salvation. We're going to pray that now. And the second is a prayer of application. And if you've already received Jesus, then I would challenge you to pray this prayer of application with me in a moment. But first, if you need Jesus today, if you've been trying to live on your own and do this on your own, and you say, I just can't. I recognize that I'm too full of me. Then maybe you would confess your sins and turn from them to Jesus right now. Pray with me like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I am so broken that I try to fill me with me. And Lord, I know I'm wrong for that. So Jesus, I turn to you. And I thank you that you laid down your life for me. So I ask you, Jesus, to take over my life, to be my God. I put my faith in you. I believe that you died for my sins, that you are alive today, Change me, Jesus, and make me like you. Help me to live as you live and love as you love. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that when we come home with that spirit that he runs to us, that heaven celebrates we celebrate that as well. If you gave your life to Jesus right here, right now today, man, I'd love to know it. You can tell me on a communication card or a digital communication card online. You can let me know in person. I'll be outside in just a moment after we end. You can tell somebody who's sitting next to you. We would just love to celebrate with you if you became a follower of Jesus, a Christian today. All that said, I know a lot of you prayed some similar prayer to that a number of years ago. I'm betting you find that you need Jesus now more than ever. If you need to apply this to your life, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for us all. I don't deserve that. Thank you for your grace. Right here in this place, Jesus, I ask you to take your grace as deep as I need below the surface of my heart to the places I don't want to lay down my life and change me and give me your heart so that I see others as you see others. So that I love others as you love others. So that I lay down my life for others. Just as you did for me. Especially when they don't deserve it. Help me to live as you live, Jesus. 
Help us to live as you love and love as you love, Jesus. And may we take your love to all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. He's good. He's good. I tell you, every day I'm more and more convinced I'm toast without Jesus. So as we end today, I want to remind you of a couple of things. One, I want to remind you of, um, in the back, we've got baskets for communication cards. There's a box for our offering you can give on our website as well, um, harvestchurchugene.com. There are lots of ways to participate in that if that's something the Lord would prompt you to do. If you're a guest today, we would really, truly just love to hear from you. We'd love the chance to put a name for, with a face and get to know you, if you will. I also want to remind you that... There's a lot coming in the month ahead. I know we had a lot of people out today. We'll have a lot out next week. It's the end of summer. Everybody's trying to squeeze in as much summer as we can. I don't blame you for that. I'm trying to do the same thing. But in fall, we're going to hit the ground running hard, and we would really love to have you be a part of loving our community well. So if you'd like to sign up for something, again, remember those communication cards. Uh, let Julie and I, Rachel, know if you need something. If I can pray for you in some way, I'll be outside momentarily. But as you go today, if you've looked in the mirror today and you find that you're living a little too much as Brian lives and a little too little as Jesus lives, I want you to leave today, not in the discouragement of the mirror. I tend not to like to look in the mirror. Anybody besides me? Don't live in the discouragement of the mirror. Live in the goodness of the Savior who laid down his life. Share him. Share his love. I love you guys. If I can pray for you in some way, let me know. Uh, online, we love you. We'll see you next week.